podcast one production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. What if your career was heading in one direction and then, through a stroke of luck, it changed completely? This is what happened to Kylie Miller, who was planning on being a physiotherapist until something inside her told her that she should try becoming a chef. From there, she ended up on MasterChef and her path has changed forever. Since leaving MasterChef, she's done some amazing things, not only working for some of the best chefs in this country, but also overseas. She also won the Josephine Pinulay Award in 2018, which is, let me tell you, an amazing achievement. It was lovely talking about Kylie's successes and it was also very emotional. Take a listen. Food. Don't you love it? <laughs> yes. Where did it start for you? Because you're a little, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. You're a little obsessed with it now. I think ever since being on MasterChef, and we'll talk about that later, <laughs> but very obsessed by it. Where did it start for um, you? Yeah, I think obsessed is probably a good thing to say because I am. Um, I always I always love cooking. My grandmother and mum are really good cooks. Uh, and like during school holidays to sort of get us out of a hair, mum would always uh, send us over to Nana's. Um, and Nan would always be cooking, whether it be something for a tennis friend or the next door neighbours or she'd always be cooking. And so sort of to get a, us out, occupied, we'd be we'd be helping her, whether it's like putting the little patty cases in for the cupcakes or rolling. She used to make these great truffles, so she, we'd be helping her roll truffles or licking the bowl or anything like that. And I think it really started from there. We we sort of grew up, my sister and I, being in the kitchen. What's your sister's name? Renee. Is she obsessed by food? She is. She's a physio, what I was before I went on to MasterChef. Um, and she secretly wants to become a baker, um, which to the, my mum's horror, she doesn't want it to sort of be waking up at those hours. But, um, yeah, she loves food as well. The two of us sort of have good Is she younger sessions. than you? She is, is she, yeah. How old is she? She's, oh, my goodness. I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> Three years, four years, uh, five years, two years? Three years younger. Three years younger. Yeah, so, so she's she was 20, always your little sister. 28, yeah. Okay. So when, when we take you back to, you know, cooking with your nan, what did that look like? Can you, a big, have, a do you have a clear mess. picture? <laughs> what did the kitchen look like? What um, was she dressed in? Oh, you know, what were always, the smells? Well, she's always had a a big, my nan always had these floral dresses, like the real, it was always summertime. I don't know why, but I always remember it being the summer when we we're at Nana's for some reason. It's really odd. Um, and she'd always have a Nana floral dress. I don't know if that sort of conjures up images for anybody, but a Nana floral dress is all I could sort of describe it. Um, and it'd always be sweet things. I think a lot of the time um, uh, we'd be we'd cook dinner and that sort of stuff too. But it would always be it would always be cakes or slices that we'd be making, and like we'd end up taking half of it home anyway and demolishing it in the car pretty much on the way home too. But yeah, always always sweet things. We'd always enjoy cooking. Is there it. a part of her that is now you? Like, do you? Oh yeah. Did you take things from her? Like, what? <laughs> well, well, she. Um, She's passed away. I'm going to, I get teary sometimes when I speak about my nana. Um, <laughs> she passed away when I was in year 11 at school and she would always at Christmas time do um, Christmas puddings and um, mince pies. And so between my sister and I, we sort of mm. kept the tradition rolling with those. I do the Christmas puddings and she does the mince pies too. Something <laughs> special about that recipe? 
Uh, yeah, well, we've sort of, between, the, we always amend it each year. You always sort of find new little ingredients. So I, I put nuts now in my Christmas pudding, which was sort of a um, a big no-no <laughs> and it's not really traditional, but um, it's more just sort of the idea of what she used to make for us at that time. Mm. And what about yourself? Not about the cooking, but things that she used to do that you find yourself doing now. Um, I cook- you know, just in life. Like it doesn't have to be about cooking. <laughs> um, I think, well... She she was all about cooking. I think that's why uh, food really. Whenever I whenever I get um, I think about food and cooking, it really resonates. Um, my memory of her, um, she'd always be cooking to when she was going somewhere. She I think whenever I go somewhere to either a friend's house or something like that, I always have something to take that I've made. Um, and that's something that she would always do as well. <laughs> And? And, oh, sorry, I just got to compose myself a bit, get my... <laughs> it's all, you don't have to be composed, it's okay. It's I, actually, it's nice for us because, or nice for me, because I don't know this side. So, yeah. you know, the idea of um, what you, you as a person and how similar that might be to your <laughs> nan is fascinating for me. Yeah, well, it's quite funny. A lot of the time um, when we were going through MasterChef and that sort of thing, um, mum would write me a letter or something and say, oh, your nan would be really proud of seeing what you're doing. Um, it's a long time ago she passed away, but it still really hits home because um, cooking and food was, I think, something that she really loved to do and she passed that love on to me and my sister as well just by sharing with us um, what we used to do in the kitchen with her, mucking around and stuff. And your mum, did it pass down to your yeah, mum or did it skip a generation? No, no, no. My mum's a great cook. She She's incredible. Um, mum and dad have their own business, so she was a lot of the time sort of occupied with doing that, but... She would always be cooking us um, curries or uh, roasts. Mum's lamb roast is still for me the the best thing when I go back mm. home. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mum's still a great cook. She sends me pictures every now and again, like, oh, yep, I baked I baked a cheesecake the other day. Or my my favourite as well is she's got a a carrot cake, which is just unreal. She's given me the recipe, but I, I think there's something that she's left out because I really can't replicate it's it. It's like not what, quite the same. Exactly. There's nothing like mum's cooking. <laughs> so you grew up where? You grew up in New South Wales, didn't you? I in did, Sydney? yeah. Uh, on the outskirts of Sydney, so northwest of Sydney uh, in the Hills District. Okay. Um, sort of semi-rural um, So what did properties. that look like? Um, well, my dad's a builder, so we moved around a lot um, and uh, we were always always outside, um, always had like a little veggie patch or a herb garden. Uh, we had uh, horses and cows, um, ducks at some point as well. And it was really cool because like we were always outdoors exploring and playing around in the dam down the back and that sort of thing too. It was nice. So <laughs> what were you like at school? Um, were you a shelfy uh, kid, good at sport, uh, <laughs> or did we just find you in home ec? <laughs> a bit of both, actually. I liked, I really loved sport. I loved swimming. Um, my mum sort of really didn't like me following that path because I'd wake her up at 4.30 in the morning like, Mom, i got to go to swimming training now. Um, but then I'd, I was also in the food technology class as well. Um, I sort of were travelling uh, down both of those lines going through school. It's probably food technology to sort of feed the hunger from all the swimming training a little bit as well. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. So you you didn't set out to be a cook or a chef, did you? No. Did did, did it occur to you at some point that maybe that's what you wanted to be? Um, it did actually. It when when I was at uni, um, I, I doing my undergrad, um, I was doing exercise science, 
uh, people would laugh at me, but I'd say, yeah, I'm going to have a cafe one day. And they're like, why are you doing this if you're going to have a cafe one day? And I'm like, oh, I need to be able to make some some cash to be able to have that somehow. So I thought, oh, this this is my proper career and then I'll, I'll do a cafe later down the track. But sort of as it rolled on through the years, I'm like, no, I can, I think I can see myself just jumping into it now. I don't have to wait until later down the track. So why didn't it occur to you earlier at school? So when you were 15 or 16 and, you know, yeah, you're doing sport, but you're doing yeah. home ec. Why didn't you think back then, I want to open a cafe, <laughs> go and, and be jumps, a chef, yeah. well, go and be a cook? Yeah, I, I was tossing it up when I was leaving school, whether to go and do um, TAFE and go into an apprenticeship or go into um, uni and do sort of exercise science and that sort of thing. But I sort of got steered... Um, down the exercise science path, everyone was saying, oh, being a chef, it's so antisocial, the hours aren't good and you won't see your friends. And I think being like a 17-year-old that was very social, I'm like, oh, I can't bear the thought of not seeing my friends. So really um, sort of steered down the the more sort of the norm path of the nine-to-five job style of thing. <laughs> yeah. So at uni, did you love it? Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed uni. Um, I loved the anatomy of it, um, but then sort of, post um, when I, well, I did exercise science and then I went and did a physio course as well. And then post, I just really wasn't into the physio. I just, um, I wouldn't get into reading up on journal articles or latest advancements in treatments. And I didn't really like the thought that because I wasn't interested, I could be, um, it could be to the detriment of one of my patients because I'm not keeping up to date. So I thought, no, I, I really should go into something that I really enjoy doing. So why was that, do you think? I mean, because it's a substantial commitment to go to uni for that long. <laughs> yeah, seven years. And then, <laughs> seven years. I know, geez. it's a long time. And then time. decide, oh, I'm not quite committed. <laughs> I know, I don't know. What were you doing outside of uni? You were having a good time, were you? I was cooking. Oh, were you? <laughs> yeah, I, well... I'd be, um, it's going to sound really daggy and you're going to think I'm the biggest dag ever, Gary. Well, I'm thinking party. Where did you go to uni? Uh, I went to Australian Catholic Uni at Strathfield and then I went to Sydney University after right. that too. So there was no, there's no excuses to be at home cooking. You should have been out, <laughs> you know, enjoying the uni lifestyle. Yeah. Was this not what was happening? Well, yeah, we went out a couple of times, but I sort of would always go home and um, I'd teed up like to make a birthday cake for one of my friends or one of mum's friends of friends or do a little not catering job, but help them get a few bits and pieces together for an event that they were doing. It wasn't for the money or that I was looking at getting a business from. It was just because I really enjoyed doing it. And having that excuse of doing it for somebody else meant that I, like, mum would always be like, oh, Kylie, you're going to make us all fat from all this food you're cooking. So having that external excuse was a good way to be able to just muck around in the kitchen. There are a turning point that you remember through all that study that you decided, oh, no, I really don't want to do this anymore? Um, there was a point I was actually, I was mid-semester break and I went over to Italy um, and I it was my first time in Italy and I just was really taken by how em, they embraced food as a part of their culture um, and it wasn't just sort of going around for a birthday or a special event. It was nearly, it was every day. So they had their their bars and they could go down to the the little restaurants and they'd be eating with their families until nine, ten o'clock at night. And I was like, this is really beautiful. I think it's something really special. And I think at that point I was like, look, this is like, it's it's an incredible thing to be a part of because it's not just food and filling people's stomachs that you're doing. You're creating memories for people when you're 
cooking for them. They, they're sitting around with their family and their friends and it's they're creating an experience and you're sort of being a part of that experience for them as well by cooking. Did you come home from that trip and say, Mum, Dad, <laughs> I'm going to drop uni or? Uh, well, I came back and it was the first year that uh, MasterChef was playing and I came back and it was, I think, the last two weeks of um, season one and I was like, oh, this is an incredible show. I'm watching it, watching it and sort of followed right through to the end until Julie won. I was like, wow, that'd be really cool. And I think from that I sort of... I wasn't aiming to get on the show. I was just sort of inspired by seeing other people that were home cooks as well, really enjoying what they were doing. And I was like, oh, cool, I'm not just the only food nerd that likes to cook at home. Um, So (laughs) uh, I would just cook more and more and more. Um, But it wasn't until sort of, oh, goodness, the last year of studying physio that I really just didn't really want to finish it and I just didn't want to keep doing it. I was like, oh, I really don't mm. like this. You actually curled your lip when you said that. Oh, did I? Like you really didn't like <laughs> no. it. No. Like so what was it? I don't know. It's it's not a bad it's not a bad job and it's it's an incredible um, thing to be able to treat people and help them through their ailments to be able to help them walk again or get them back to work or sport or anything like that. It's it's a great it's a great outcome sort of thing. Um I don't know. It just, it wasn't for me. It didn't sit right for me. Um, I just didn't like the the point sometimes that I couldn't fix them there and then straight away. It was a real long process um, to get somebody to that end goal that they wanted to get to as well. And sometimes you couldn't actually get there. So um, I liked, I liked the thought of having a, not a quick fix, but a positive outcome and something that's quick enough for the person to see as well. So that's why I think it didn't really sit well with me. (laughs) So was it something that happened simultaneously or simultaneously where you went, yep, I'm going to do MasterChef or was there a stop down where you're now just in limbo? Um, it was just, I think there was one point where I was like, I'm just going to apply. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to apply for MasterChef um, and then got accepted to go into the preliminary rounds for it all. And I was, would you believe, like three weeks out from graduating a, a master's in physio and, and got through to the top 24. And I was like, okay, there we go. That's my sign. Um, I think I should really follow this path. Ooh, three weeks to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did finish it. I did go back and finish it. Um, it was sort of a deal I had with with my mum. She's like, look, can you please just finish it so I'm not going to, and then I'll stop nagging you and you can do whatever you want with food. And I was like, righto, good deal. Did she nag you a bit? Um Oh, now no. She, back she, then? Back then she was like, oh, um, you have to finish it. You have to finish it. It took me like about three or four months after finishing MasterChef to really commit to it and say, okay, yes, I'll go back and finish it because um, my my um, argument against it was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be a physio. I don't want to do it. Um, so what's the point of finishing it? And everyone's like, oh, it's just a good degree to fall back on. And I was like, yeah, I know, but... I don't want to fall back on it. What was she worried about? Did she tell you back then? Uh, no, she didn't. Um, I think it was more just because because I'd been studying for so long and everything, I think she didn't want to see me fail going into something that I love doing. <laughs> Why are you getting emotional? I don't know. I think I don't <laughs> like to disappoint people. I don't like to disappoint um, my family. That's twice I've, I've cried. It's not my fault. <laughs> I'm not doing it. You don't want to disappoint your family. Yeah. but Do you think you have? No, I don't think so. I think they see um, how much I love what I'm doing now and, and they're really happy. <laughs> wow. It's surprising that it brings 
this out of you. How did uh, how did MasterChef work for you? Um, what were you surprised about? What did you hate? What did you love? <laughs> That's easier. Oh, what did I hate? What I love? I loved the first time when I walked in um, as a top twenty four and going into that um, pantry. I thought that was great. I don't know why it was something that, like you see on TV, but it's when you walk in, you go, "Woof, this is cool." There's so much stuff in here I can actually just take. I don't have to go to the cash register and pay <laughs> for it. Um, so that was one of the things that really blew me away. I remember you left the competition. We were at Benelong. Yes. Was that seventh or fifth or uh, sixth? Six. I think I was. How six. did that feel? Uh, I, was, I was gutted. Absolutely gutted. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to leave the competition. It wasn't the fact because I didn't win. It was the challenges that I might miss out on coming up. Um, I think because we all started to get to a point where we're like, oh, this is so cool. It's and we knew it was all coming to an end because we were getting to the pointy end as well. But it was that big thing of something that you've met. Um, you've met people that share the same passion as you, and you're in this world, um, this little bubble that is just all about food. And I think that shows that I am a little bit obsessed because I loved it, absolutely loved it, being able to um, speak to you guys every day, um, talk about food, new ingredients, um, have the mentoring from you guys as well on sort of what things we could improve on, um, going over to Italy as well. It, it was just an incredible, incredible thing. And and leaving it been along um for me, it was just like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready to go yet. I, I, I want to stick around because this is really fun. <laughs> Things didn't stop for you when you left, did they? No. Um, so I, talk, I mean, when we talk about successes, yep. you're a, a great MasterChef success. <laughs> what, I'm very fortunate, I think. What happened? Um, well, I went and worked at Birch and Purchase um, on Chapel Street with Darren Purchase. Um, and I'd met uh, Darren through one of the challenges that we had had on the show. It was a Oh, for me, it was pretty much one of the best ones. We had all the pastry chefs that you could think of from Australia sitting in, as a judging panel, um, and so I was, we got to have a chat to them after the episode. And um, yeah, I mainly just had a chat to Darren because I had been into his shop quite a few times and really loved what he did and how he was really creative with all the ingredients that he'd use and that sort of thing too. And he's like, "Yeah, come down when you finish, and you can do um, a couple of weeks in the kitchen." So. I did because I, I came down from Sydney and did about a month of work experience with him um, and then at the end they offered me a job. The jump that you made mm. was in opposition to probably most of the MasterChef contestants that we remember that are still doing, you know, well and yep. have, you know, had great careers is that you kind of shunned the media and the spotlight and just went to work. Yeah. What, was um, that deliberate? No, not deliberate. I, I really just wanted to be taken seriously with the job I was doing. Um, a lot of the time, a couple of other kitchens I'd been into beforehand, I got a little bit of, am I allowed to say shit? <laughs> yeah. I got a bit of shit from like people when I walked in. They'd be like, come on, MasterChef, come on, MasterChef, show us what you do, what you can do. Um, and I remember just one day particularly I just turned around and said, get lost in a few more colourful words. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to take your job. I'm just here to to learn um, and I'm not trying to, like, show you guys up or anything. I'm just seriously here to learn, so just back off. And um, I, I made a point of whenever I went into a kitchen from that, I didn't um, straight out say I'd been on MasterChef. I, I, I'm not that I'm not proud of being on the show because I am because for me it's um, – 
where it's how I've gotten to where I am and been able to work in the kitchens I have today. Um, but just particularly, I wanted to show people that I could cook and I could hold my own in the kitchen before I would tell them that I'd been on a um, Master Chef. Where did that resentment come from? Do you think resentment? Because that's what it is, isn't it? They re- they resent yeah, obviously well, something. I think um, just probably <clears throat> because I, I totally understand it. They've they've worked hard to get to the the point that they're in. Um, they've trained as an apprentice or gone to school and that sort of thing and trained really hard. So having somebody that's gone on this incredible show to be able to, gosh, we met Massimo Batura and Heston and, and a lot of the people that work in the industry will never get an opportunity to do that. So um, I can understand their resentment against that because we were really lucky to, to do what we did. This is A Play to Call Home. I'm Gary Megan. More from Kylie after the break. Have we got a plan at this stage? No. Just asking? No, no plan, no plan. at all. There's, there's barely Random a plan. Random working. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I was due to go on holidays. Darren was sort of like, Kylie, you need to go and take a holiday break. I was like, righto. Um, didn't really know what to do. And he um, worked quite closely with the guys from Mugaritz in Spain um, on a few different events that they had done overseas. And he said to me, oh, would you like to go and um, do a stage over there? And I really didn't know much about it beforehand. Um, and then I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Flew over there. Couldn't speak a word of Spanish except for hola and gracias. That was it. And I was there for a month, um, during their summer period, which was pretty busy and absolutely loved it. Was there any funny, um, situations <laughs> with you not speaking Spanish? And yeah. them speaking oh my Spanish? gosh. There was one particular, and, and all my friends that I met there remember, remind me of it continuously. Um, I was looking for a set of scales and they're called bascular or in short, you call them peso. And I thought they were saying peso. And so I'm walking around to the kitchen going, "Uh, tienes pesos, tienes pesos. And they're all looking at me going, what on earth? Peso means kiss. So I'm walking around the kitchen saying, "Uh, do you have kisses? Do you have kisses? when When I sort of was pulled up and said, you're asking for kisses, not scales. I was like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. These people are going to think I'm a... Like a right lunatic. <laughs> Anybody give me a kiss? No, no, no. No, they were too busy. <laughs> they were too Hello, busy. No, seriously. We're they too were like, busy. What do you want? Go away. <laughs> <laughs> what about the hard stuff? What did you find particularly hard working? Um, the language language was one of the, the hardest sort of hurdles to get across. Um, but I think after that, it, it was hard. It was hard work. You were running from the time you got in there until the time you left. Um, and we would get in there at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, lunch service would be up until four or five o'clock. Uh, you sometimes, depending on sort of your mise en place and how late the service lunch service was running, would get a little siesta break, uh, and then you'd be back in the kitchen again until one or two in the morning, um, and then turn around and do it again. And that was that was five and a half, sometimes six, if they needed it days a week. Wow! Did you fall in love in Spain? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did bring back a Spanish man back to Australia. Um, in your luggage or did he come in properly? Oh, he with, came in properly. He got, he got, a, he got, spo- he got sponsored. <laughs> um, but I didn't learn it through him. It was just being in the kitchen, actually. Um, one of the guys that was on my first station, his mum was an English teacher, so he could speak English perfectly. Uh, and he sort of helped me being in the kitchen by sort of saying, this is this word, this is for this, this is for this. And at first it was very sort of me going, mm, 
I can't even think of a word off the top of my head but right words, now. Just words. But words. And then eventually I, I did do a couple of classes um, when the restaurant was closed um, over there, very intensive classes to learn a little bit of grammar, uh, and then I could, could string together a bit more of a sentence. That's yeah. amazing. You know what I remember actually from that period, obviously we're living over here You're and it's disjointed. <laughs> we're on the next series of MasterChef. But I remember it would have been maybe year two and watching your Instagram posts and there weren't many of them. I mean, you're working too damn hard. <laughs> but an odd picture. You must have been in a van driving along the coast maybe because, you know, for so people know Muguritz is outside San Sebastian. It is, yep. It's in the, the north. Yep. And you can hop over the border into France. That's and I think it. you were coming back from Bayeritz or yes, Saint-Jean-de-Luz yep. or yep. somewhere with a van full of stuff. <laughs> and I was really excited about that because, you know, knowing that you were working hard, little moments that were, you know, obviously memorable. Yeah, well, really special. Well, going being that close to the border of another country I think was – it, like it blows my mind. The people over there don't understand. Like, we have to fly about six hours to get to another country, um, but they can do one hour, and they're, they've already crossed about three. And I was like, no, we can't even get out of a state in an hour. So, <laughs> most memorable moment then for um, you out of your oh, Spanish experience? I really loved being a part of their what they call Imaz Day, which is the research and development. Um, so every year they develop a brand new menu completely. And when the restaurant is closed between the sort of the beginning of, well, mid of uh, December through to the beginning of April, um, that that period is just dedicated to research and development. Um, so they keep a few of the stages from the year before to um, help with the ideas and the process of developing that menu. And a lot of it doesn't make it on, um, but we come up with about 100 to 120 new dishes every year and um, they get filtered onto the menu through the course of the year as well. But it, it was pretty cool to – they would give you a concept of, and an idea and they weren't 100% sure a lot of the time what they wanted from it but would just let you run with the idea for a little while and um, it was like a um, – not a mystery – it was like having a mystery box or a invention test um, thrown at you nearly every day and I loved that. It was – you were allowed to fail and there wasn't any problem with that because some of those failures are actually really cool things that came from it. You've achieved some amazing things, but last year, was it? Yep, yep. You won the Josephine Pinulay Award yeah. for Young Chef, is that right? Yep, just That's... scraped in under the Young Chef point. Just, just scraped in, <laughs> did you? That's okay. Don't ever say that again. Own it. Be proud. Yes. That's pretty damn amazing. Yeah, that that was a, that was a huge honour um, and I was really – really shocked when they actually told me that I had won the award um, because I was up against some really incredible chefs and the guys that were in the final with me had won the Electrolux Young Chef for the Year and different awards down the track too and I was like, oh, here we go. It's me just sort of bumbling in, not really knowing much about the, um, not the hierarchy, but knowing sort of if they were going to, if they just brought me in because I had been on MasterChef or if it was really because they sort of saw something that I could cook or be a part of the hospitality industry. So um, when um, Damien called me up and said, oh, yep, congratulations, I was like, oh my goodness. So I was shaking for a good 10 minutes afterwards. Um, and it was just sort of that sense of acceptance almost into um, knowing that these guys thought I could be a part of the industry um, and they sort of saw something that um, they could help develop to maybe have a restaurant or something one day as well. How did that make you feel? I, I can't describe it. Like I've been having a chat for hours, but I think like for me, 
I, I can't put it into words how much it meant to me to receive receive that award. Uh, like we, the people that were on the panel are people that are incredibly well recognised in in the industry and very well regarded as well. And and past people that have won won that award too, um, like some incredible chefs, like Mark Best has won it. Um, Brett Graham. Brett Graham. Brett Graham's won the award as well. Dan Hong. To think that wow, these guys have come from an award like that and and look at where they are, yeah. it was sort of a little bit of an assurance that m- maybe I can get to my end goal. What did you have to do to, you know, put your hand up for the Josephine um, Pinulay Award? It was a – so we had to write an essay on our thoughts on food and cooking um, and just email it in. And then um, if we if they liked what they read, they got us in to uh, have a chat um, for about 40 minutes, I think it was, and asked us all the questions under the sun that they could think of pretty much, uh, what we sort of felt about cooking, how we could see the future of cooking, um, what we wanted to do after if we won the award or anything like that. And, yeah, they sort of really grilled us and to make sure that we weren't just sort of saying words that they wanted to hear. They wanted to see that it was legit. What did you write? What did you write about um, the future of cooking? What did you write about what you wanted to Well, do? I think the main thing they said to me at the end of it was they were like, it's really nice to see someone so excited um, about cooking and food. And I'm getting emotional again. It's really odd. It's, it's Must be me. I think that's what it is. It's back to those MasterChef days where I've gone, Kylie, are you sure you want to do that? It's okay to be emotional about it. I mean, you know, you were talking about being a food nerd. Yeah. You know the three biggest food nerds are the blokes that stand at the front of that room <laughs> and we talk incessant rubbish about food, but we love it. So it's yeah. okay. You're in good company. <laughs> Cheers, and thanks. actually anybody that's listening to this podcast loves food too, so they might be, they might be crying with you. Oh, that's cool. So so what was it? Um. I, yeah, I think it's – yeah, because they they said I was, they could feel that I was so excited about food and um, they really – they appreciated that I hadn't come from the normal sort of background going into into cooking and into kitchens. Um, but they – yeah, they, they said their main thing that they were – they could see in me was an enthusiasm that um, they hoped would sort of resonate into people that I worked with as well. Yeah, which is good. And what? <laughs> and what? And what about the future? Oh, what did you write about the future? Oh, the future. Um, well, in terms of sort of what I wanted to do, I said I wanted to be able to have uh, a place that really focused on having um, products that were made in house, um, getting stuff in that was just pure what it was from the farmer. And then turning it into cheeses or chutneys or charcuteries or different things like that, sort of taking everything from the first principle and building it up into this is what the restaurant or this business, this food business is about. Um, But then also sort of saying that, um, and I suppose it sort of touches on a little bit of what Alice has developed with her um, thing as well, is sort of encouraging people to get back to food. So like with a lot of the uh, fast food things and apps these days that are really easy to order food in, which isn't always a bad thing, but I think I I sometimes get worried that what happens in about 10 years' time, if this sort of technology starts to take over a little bit more, people lose touch with with cooking at home. And like for me, cooking is is not just a way of for feeding people, it's a way of connecting, it's a way of showing love, um, showing 
a culture or, or heaps of different things that come together when you cook. And it's sort of losing touch with all those things if you start to really rely on sort of packaged or bought in foods. So sort of really trying to inspire people not to create, you don't have to do Michelin star dishes or anything like that, but just really well-cooked food and stuff that you enjoy cooking as well. It's the Italian holiday. <laughs> exactly, it? yeah, what it is. pretty when much. It, when it's part of your culture. Yeah. And people, if, if you know, in Australia, it, with many of our communities in Australia it is, but yeah. with many of our communities in Australia it's not. Yeah. So that's the struggle, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There are lots of people in the industry that haven't been traditionally trained. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you think is missing um, I think allowing people to be enthusiastic. I sometimes feel that you have to be sort of seen as super serious in a kitchen and you're not allowed to show too much emotion. Um, like you don't want to cry. <laughs> I don't want to cry when I'm in a kitchen. You don't want to see that. I don't know whether it's just me on how I've perceived it and I didn't want to seem like a bit, a bit of a dork, but you didn't want to seem too excited about seeing something that was too different. Um, but I think that's really important. Like if you be allowed to sort of show your enthusiasm for something and show your interest for something and really be able to sort of pursue that um, within your workplace because I think that's important to encourage the younger people coming into the kitchen and the the new apprentices and all that sort of thing. Like ask them what what do they enjoy doing? Like what's why did they get into cooking? Because they can't say, oh, it's just because it's a job. Um, why, why, why do you want to cook? There's got to be a reason that you chose it. Um, and I think sort of using that as their motivation to really help them learn and get them excited and then sort of when you're excited about cooking or f- or anything in general, you sort of want to get into it more and from that you can sort of teach other people and get them excited and it's sort of a little bit of a snowball thing that, that develops from it. Fear of failure. That's why <laughs> I, I, I go back to it. I look at yeah. it and I, I look at all the professional kitchens that I've worked in and that kind of steely resolve not to show any chinks mm. in the armour. Yep. Because you're scared of failing. And yeah. that's why a lot of chefs say, oh, I don't do pastry. Yeah. It's just because they don't want to make something that is, stuffs up. Stuffs up. Yeah. They don't want to admit to it or yeah. they don't want to just go, well, that's okay. I can make it again. Yeah. And it just holds so many people back. Yeah. But it's a tough industry to do it in. It is. It? it is. It really it's take is. take a long time to change. Yeah. I used to practice a lot of stuff at home um, before going into the kitchen. Like I'd, I'd get the recipe the day before and go home and practice it before I had to actually make it in the kitchen the next day because – I didn't want to see, be seen stuffing it up. I didn't want to waste their time or um, their f- like get into the food costs or anything like that with with sort of ruining dishes at the restaurant or Gee, in you're a kitchen. A unique individual. <laughs> well, Kylie, man, I get the sense that you're going to go your own way in your own time, and it didn't <laughs> dawn on me just then. I think it dawned on me a few years ago now. So it's been a pleasure talking to you, and it's okay to cry on radio. Thanks. You cried on national TV. So oh, I know, true. So what's a pod? What's crying on a podcast? <laughs> Nothing. At least you don't see the ugly crying. It's just the the sniffles instead. That's okay. And thank you for my food gifts. I love food oh. gifts. Oh, Thanks, you can. Pleasure. Thank you, <laughs> Thanks. Time for my tips and tricks. And when I was thinking of Kylie, I was thinking, what was her shtick? And you know what her shtick was? Caramel. Well, let me tell you, she makes a great salty caramel sauce, second to none. But here's a quick caramel sauce you can do at home. Just take equal quantities, let's say 150 grams of dark brown sugar, 150 ml of cream, and about 50 grams of butter. Put it in a pot, bring it gently to the boil, make sure the sugar's dissolved. It is delicious. Butterscotch sauce, 
plus. You can even put a couple of little drops of vanilla essence or some fresh vanilla seeds in there, and it just is delicious. So that's one. And the other one is that classic kind of condensed milk dolce de leche. You know where you peel the label off the can, you put it in a pot, you make sure it's well covered in water, you bring it to a simmer, and you cook it for about three hours. Sounds weird, doesn't it, if you've never done it? But what happens, once it's all cooled, you open that tin, and inside is the most delicious, sweet, super healthy, let me tell you, condensed milk caramel. Yum. Give them both a go. You'll thank me for it. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research. (laughs) 